Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. I'd like to welcome you to Cap City Church. Is anybody else like feeling the repercussions from Thursday dinner by chance? Man, like you look forward to it all year and then it comes and then you're miserable for the next three days. Um, with that being said, though, it really is good to see you all here this morning. Um, we're just, uh, I'm going to say a word of prayer, and we're just going to jump into the worship set this morning. Uh, as always, we just, we invite you, you know, just to worship as you are most comfortable, whether that is standing or sitting. Um, we're going to keep things just very simple today, but that doesn't mean the worship needs to be simple, right? We can still worship with all we have. Um, so if you are able, please, uh, please stand with me. Father God, we just thank you for this time, Lord. God, we pray your way in this place this morning. As we long to be in your presence, Lord, and that is our prayer, just that everything that would come from this room this morning, God, would just declare praise to you. God, that it would bless your heart. That we may encounter you in a special way, God. We love you, and in your name we pray, amen. breath 
Till that stone was smooth for good, for the lamb that conquered death. And the dead rose from their tombs, and the angels stood in awe for the souls of all who'd come to the Father are restored. And the church of Christ was born, and the Spirit lit the flame. Now this gospel. small 
as we come into the Advent season, and I promise you, I know there's a comment made last week that I wouldn't do many Christmas songs. I promise you Christmas songs will come. But as we come into the Advent season, you know, I really like, I mean, yes, we recognize the birth of Jesus, but I also wanted to recognize the whole picture, the significance of it. The whole point of that birth was a death. A death that would be our replacement. We are not worthy of the grace that we are given. And that's exactly why Christ came, knowing that we were not worthy of it. But he died for us so that we could have it all the same. And that's why I picked this next song. It's one that we know probably pretty well. Because when we think of that concept, that God sent his son solely to die, it's pretty reckless. So as we get into this season, I know the chaos has already kind of started with, you know, the, the Black Weekend or however you want to call it, Cyber Monday, the rest. Try to remember what it's all about. And when you feel yourself just stressed and overwhelmed with things that, in the grand scheme of things, are really not that important, remember what it's all about. And you may find yourself not so flustered and frustrated, but maybe even able to appreciate it just a little more.
Sorry about that. There we go. I uh, just want to say good morning from Capital City Church. Um, I am down here because we are blessed today to be doing a baby dedication. And so uh, I'm going to ask Emily and Emmanuel to bring up their son, Ezekiel. And we're going to dedicate a young man today. But what's exciting about this baby dedication is not only are we dedicating um, one of their children... But Emmanuel, the father, will be getting baptized at the end of service. And so how about that, right? And so uh, there's something to be said for a man leading his family in the way they should go. And so we're excited for this young family today. Uh, this is their third child. Uh, I've got the pleasure of dedicating one of the other ones. And uh, look how he's a good-looking boy. I mean, all that hair, right? And so um, it's exciting to be able to dedicate this young man. Um, they're a beautiful young family. Uh, we, they've been with us since we were over at Hope Central. And so um, I'm just going to, you guys have been through this. And so you're somewhat familiar with what, how this goes. But we're just going to read a little bit on what Jesus had to say about children. From Matthew 19, 13 through 14. Then the people brought the little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. 
For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. I was reading this week uh, in, in, in one of my studies, in one of my books this week, and it says, our existence as a church and as a people of God is to raise up the next generation. There's no greater thing we can do than to raise up the next generation. In presenting this child for dedication, you signify not only your faith in the Christian religion, but also your desire that he may early know and follow the will of God, may live and die a Christian, and come into everlasting blessedness. That's our hope and that's our prayer. In order to attain this holy end, it will be your duty as parents to teach him early the fear of the Lord, to watch over his education, that he be not led astray, to direct his youthful mind to the holy scriptures and his feet to the sanctuary, to restrain him from evil associates and habits, and as much as in you lies, to bring him up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Will you endeavor to do so by the help of God? If so, answer, we will. I now ask you, the congregation, will you commit yourselves as a body of Christ to support and encourage these parents as they endeavor to fulfill their responsibility to the children they have raised and to assist by nurturing his growth towards spiritual maturity? If so, answer, we will. We are now going to anoint this young man. He's not liking them lights. <laughs> Dear Lord God in heaven, we pray for the soul and the heart of Ezekiel. We pray, Lord God, that you would lift him up in strength and in power. Lord God, we pray for Emmanuel as he leads his household. We pray for Emily, Lord God, as she nurtures her children. We pray, Lord God, for this family unit. We pray for this marriage. Lord God, we pray that you would bestow upon them a blessing this day, that as a church family we would rally around them in support and encouragement. And Lord God, today in this moment, we dedicate to you Ezekiel Lopez for the glory of the Father. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm coming. I just got to walk around. Uh, it is good to be with you today. Uh, I hope you all had a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving. I hope you ate enough. Um, I know I did. I had somebody text me this week and I asked him, I said, How was your Thanksgiving? They said, I ate too much and my wife made me run a turkey trot. And so I'm paying for that on Friday, and I said, well, they said, how did your day go? And I said, well, my day went pretty well. I said, I ate a lot of good food, and I don't run, so I'm okay. And so uh, it was a good Thanksgiving. I hope you all had a wonderful week as well. And so we're going to talk a little bit about Advent. But first, we want to kind of talk about the idea of suffering, and maybe you're not really thinking about the word suffering. Maybe you're going into 
the Christmas season. And to be honest, words suffering and Christmas aren't usually used in the same sentence, right? Uh, during the season when we are surrounded by joyful songs of Christmas, it is easy to forget that even though Christmas and suffering aren't often taken in the same sentence, suffering and anticipation usually are, right? We work, we strive, we anticipate something in our lives. It, it usually involves some struggle, so we understand that. But I want to talk about this idea of Advent. Because growing up, we didn't really have or, or discuss Advent a ton at, at Hope Central. Um, so I'm just curious, does everybody know, I know this sounds silly, does everybody know what the word Advent means? Because some people do and some people don't. And so I want to draw some clarity to when we, maybe, and here's the thing. Advent is kind of a church word. Like we have Advent calendars, and my wife always gets like an Advent calendars for the kids, and they open day one, and there's like a little chocolate or there's something in there. And so we know that it has something to do with anticipation. But if you're from maybe outside the church, and the church throws around the word Advent all season, and you don't know what it means, you're going to be completely lost, right? So I'm going to shed some clarity on that. Advent, the arrival of a notable person. A thing or an event. Uh, in in the, the Bible, it was the anticipation of the Messiah. The, the first season of the Christian church is marked by Advent. Leading to Christmas and including four of the preceding Sundays. And so that would be this Sunday. And so that's why we start our Advent series. The coming or second coming of Christ. And so what we also understand about Advent is it's not just the anticipation of Christmas, but it's also the anticipation of the arrival that happened in the first Christmas, but also the second coming of Christ. And so we are celebrating or anticipating or awaiting two things. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about a sermon series. And it's the long-expected Jesus. Who are you expecting to see? When you come to church, do you come expecting to encounter God? And so this first titled sermon is He is Coming. He has come and He is coming. He is coming today. The season of Advent for children of Israel was a time of suffering, though. They were in bondage to the people of Rome. Uh, they had not heard from the Lord God had been silent for nearly 400 years. There were no prophets. There were no angels boldly declaring the words of the Lord. And so when we read in the Gospels that Gabriel came and spoke to Mary, that was really the first revelation, one of the first revelations to the people of Israel in 400 years. God had been silent. And so there was a lot of suffering and there was a lot of persecution. There was hardship. There was difficulty. There was suffering and a continual cry of this. How long, O oh Lord, must we wait? And I feel like some of us in the church today do that as well, right? Maybe you've been in the church for a while. Maybe you've lived a long life. Maybe you've had a hard life and you're going, when will he just come again? I used, to, I used to remember people would always say, oh, I'm just waiting for the Lord to come back. Oh, I'm waiting for the Lord to come back. And I'm going to be honest, that's all good and well. But the Lord doesn't want to find you just waiting. He wants to find you working and serving and loving his people. 
But it's good. It's good to anticipate the second coming, to anticipate all that he has. And maybe that's our cry today. Lord, when are you coming? We will start this passage today that begins with the words, after that suffering. And we'll talk a little bit about it. And it it may seem jarring next to the tinsel and the lights and the, the stores playing every version of Jingle Bells. I remember I used to work in, in retail. Anybody ever work in retail? By this time in retail, you're already sick of Christmas music. Like, it's just that, like, you hear 37 versions of it, and you're just over it. Like, I remember I used to work at Dick's Sporting Goods, and by the time Black Friday rolled around, at the end of the day, Black Friday, after like a 12-hour shift, I was like, all right, I'm good on Christmas music for the next 12 years. Like, I had to get out of retail just so I could enjoy Christmas music again. But it doesn't necessarily fit. This idea of suffering and struggling doesn't fit into our merry, jolly Christmas. And there's something that we need to understand and we need to look into. We need to see where they were at and where we're going. So in the book of Mark, Mark 13, 24, that's where we're going to be starting If you want to turn there, you can turn there with us. You can turn in your your smartphone devices, or we're going to have it up on the screen for you. But I want to read this to you, and it says this. But in those days, after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then everyone will see the Son of Man arriving in the clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send angels, and they will gather his elect from the four corners of the world and the ends of the earth and the ends of heaven. Learn this parable from the fig tree. Whenever its branches become tender and put out its leaves, you know that the summer is near. So also, when you see these things happening, that he is near, right at the door. I tell you the truth. This generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away, or the word of the Lord will remain. But as for that day and hour, no one knows. Neither the angels in heaven nor the Son except the Father. Watch out, stay alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. He left his house and put his slaves in charge, assigning to each his work. We have each been given a task. And and commanded the doorkeeper to stay alert. Stay alert. Then, because you do not know when the owner of the house will return. Whether during the evening, at midnight, when the rooster crows, or at dawn. Or else he might find you sleeping When he returns suddenly, what I say to you, I say to everyone, stay alert. That last stay alert, it's interesting. I was reading the the New Living Translation today, and it's replaced with the word stay alert with watch for him. You see, they were watching for the Messiah. They were waiting for the Messiah. And a little background context here is Jesus was sitting with the disciples, and the disciples walked out of the temple, and they say, man, Jesus, look at this awesome temple. 
isn't it glorious? And he said, yeah, it's going to fall apart. He said, not a single stone will be left on top of another. It's all going to crumble. Well, man, Jesus, we're just trying to like, you know, the church building looks nice. He said, yeah, it's going to crumble. It's going to fall apart. And then he goes on and he says, all all these bad things are going to be happening. You know, there's going to be false messiahs and they're not me. And and there's going to be bad religion and that's not me. And there's going to be persecution and that's not me. And there's going to be world turmoil and that's not me. But once you see all these signs, be ready because I'm coming. Be ready because I'm coming. Here's the question of the day that I have for you as we anticipate our Savior. Are you waiting for the Messiah to return or the villain to appear? You see, who we fix our eyes on determines the course of our life. It is the difference between living in victory and suffering defeat. Who are you fixing your eyes on today? Who are you anticipating today? This is what is known as the the Olivet Discourse. And you can find it in in other Gospels, in Matthew 24, in Mark 13, in Luke 21. And it marks dual prophecies throughout history. Jesus speaks of a prophecy of when the temple will fall and the people of God will be persecuted. And really all of that is fulfilled around 70 AD when the Romans come in and lay siege to Jerusalem and tear down the temple. But it's also prophetic in in the anticipation of Christ's return. And you see a lot of that in scripture. But I I want you to understand something. Anybody ever heard of the idea of clickbait? Maybe Maybe if you're not familiar with social media, you're not familiar with the idea of clickbait. What clickbait is, is they make a video on YouTube or TikTok or whatever it is, and they label it one thing to draw people in. And then you watch it, and it's kind of just a bad video. It's worthless, like it's not engaging. But all they really care about is that you clicked on it because that gets them viewerships and that that catches their eye, right? If I wanted to make this a clickbait sermon, instead of saying he is coming, I would sell it as the end is near. Right? There, we have this fascination with end times in the church because we fear end times for some reason. And we are more compelled by fear than we are the reality that the master is coming again. The Messiah is coming. He's bringing a host of angels. He's bringing peace and love and and ascending and pulling us into heaven with him. But we would rather hear the end is near. Because that sells. Right? Like you you, you preach something on Jesus is coming or or anticipate the the return of the king or Advent. And people are like, I don't want to see that. You preach something on Revelations and say, the end is near. And people are like, ooh, got to find that out. I'm just, I'm just going to be honest. If Jesus doesn't know and the angels don't know, you really think that we can decode it all. Come on. But how we view the revelation of God, how we anticipate God, changes the way we live our lives. You know, one captivates us by fear. Other brings grace and hope 
and salvation. Now, how would you rather live? Would you rather live with grace and hope and salvation, or would you rather live in the fear of, uh, of coming doom? You see, it is not unlike the first century Christians and the disciples. They were anticipating the Messiah, but they were anticipating the overthrow of Rome. They were anticipating this valiant warrior. They thought they were assembling an army. And so when Jesus started uttering things like, love your enemies, they're like, this must not be the guy. We want to kill our enemies, Jesus. So who we fix our eyes on makes all the difference in the world. We live in a church culture that has taken on the doom and gloom mentality. As suffering servants trying to get through the world, hoping that the end will come and that we will miss the struggle. But it's learning to anticipate God in the midst of the struggle that gives us a fullness of life. Much of this conversation could be solved by understanding who Jesus was talking to. Jesus was not issuing a warning to people he hated. He was not issuing doom and gloom to his enemies. He was sitting there talking to his four closest friends. And he said, listen, it's going to get hard. But I love you dearly. And so I'm going to tell you all the ways that it's going to get hard. Not so that you will be fearful but so that you will be ready and anticipate my return. And hopefully you'll bring people along with you. Because if we anticipate his return, and we are excited about his coming, then the way we view the struggles of the world are entirely different. And I want to kind of go into some of the things that he talks about. One of the first things Jesus addresses, and he addresses Four things really in this chapter leading up to our key passage here. He addresses first off kind of bad religion. Uh, everybody was tied up in the temple. Everybody was fixated on the church and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. There were zealots. There were religious people who were ready to riot and overthrow Rome. Not unlike America, right? We have our people who are too fixated on the buildings. We have our people who are too fixated on the denomination. We have our religious rebels who are ready to overthrow the government. We have all that here in America. We get that. We have good and bad religion woven in there. But he warned us about bad religion, about getting caught up in the temple and, and the things of this world, the organization. A little social media plug here again. Like, if you're getting your religion advice from TikTok or Facebook or Instagram. Stop it. This is where the word of the Lord comes from. It's good that they can put together a 30-second or 60-second video. I'm all for that. But that cannot be your source of truth. It breeds bad religion. And Jesus said, watch out. Watch out for bad religion. False messiahs. He said, watch out for false messiahs. There's going to be many people who come in my name and say, I am he. And they will mislead many. And it later says that, that potentially even the elect, potentially even the good Christian, there's only one surefire way to not be misled. To know the word of truth. 
and to have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. That is the only way to ensure that you won't be misled. To align with the right people. So we have bad religion. We have false messiahs. We have world turmoil. Oh man, if I've heard it for the, I've heard it for the last 35 years. The end is near. The end is near. The end is near. And I know that it went on for 35 years before me. The end is near. The end is near. I think that's how we sold Christianity in the 20th century. The end is near. The end is near. Listen, at what point did we decide that it was a good idea to scare people into Jesus? It, you, listen, if, if it says that God is love and perfect love drives out fear, then why has the church used fear tactics to lead people to Jesus? He's not a God who uses fear tactics. He's a God who uses love and restoration and healing and hope and anticipation for his coming. Not fear. He wouldn't use fear to persuade us. This, even in this passage, he's not trying to scare people into repentance. He's trying to inform the believer so that they don't fear. Truth be told, this passage is really more so for believers so that they don't fear. And yet we often use it on unbelievers to scare them into salvation. You see, that salvation's not going to stick. That salvation's not going to last. And what salvation and what life is healthy that's manipulated by fear? That's not how God works. But it's a world in turmoil that he warns us of. Of wars, rumors of wars, famine, earthquakes. And he said this, he says, don't be alarmed. You know what the word alarmed means? It means to arms. Take up arms. Be ready. Have your, have your six-shooter on your hip. Man, we got too many Christians out here who are two arms. Why are y'all afraid? You think there's some protection that that little thing on your hip can do that the good Lord can't do? Doomsday Preppers. You ever see the show Doomsday Preppers? As I was reading this, I thought of Doomsday Preppers. You ever, like, see that show? It's kind of an interesting show. They're like, all right, well, in this scenario, we're anticipating that the world will end by tsunami. And so we've built our little holes in the wall, and, and we have these, these caverns, and we've packed this food away and this water away, and we're planning for the worst. They're living their whole life spending thousands of dollars planning for the worst. They're educated on how to survive the end of the age. But, but they don't know their Bible. You see, this, so I, I'm a little doomsday prepper. Little, all right? This is what, like, my go bag. If you're a doomsday prepper, they all have go bags. This is like, if you need to get out of Dodge quick, this is my get out of Dodge quick bag, okay? And I have some, like, different resources in there and just different supplies and uh, but maybe you're a little prepared. There's nothing wrong with that. But not at the expense of the word of the Lord. You see, we do really foolish things. And, and I even have it here. I have a little, like, Velcro sticker thing here that goes on the bag. And, 
It says, in God we trust. And I think, I think we carry money in our pocket that says, in God we trust. But just in case God doesn't come through, I got the, the go bag. And just in case God doesn't come through, I got, the, I got something on my hip. Just in case God doesn't come through. You see, we're so fearful. And God's gone, you don't need to worry about it. You don't need to worry about it. I've got this. I'm going to come again. I've got a plan. And maybe you're not a doomsday prepper. Maybe you look at those people and you say, man, those people are crazy. Man, people, people are crazy. I'm not a doomsday prepper. I would never do that. But I'll tell you what. I'm going to throw an extra 1000 into my 401k just in case things go bad. Because I want to make sure my retirement's good and healthy. You know, I was going to tithe this week, but things got hard, so I threw a little extra into my retirement. You see, we all have this idea and this as we anticipate the end. Or as we anticipate the coming of Jesus. And, and, and here's, here's really, if I ask you, you're either, you're either thinking, your mind goes one of two places. If I say, what do you think about Jesus' second coming? Your mind either goes to hope and salvation or your mind goes, oh, it's the end. If you're living in fear of the end, you're missing the whole purpose of Jesus' coming. He came to take away your fear, not to instill fear. He's just trying to educate you through these passages. And then there's this one. He says, and then the fourth thing that you need to watch out for is bitterness. Because there's a worry in my heart that you might become bitter because when things get hard, they're probably going to persecute the church and my people first. And I just want you to be aware of it so that you don't get caught off guard by it. But in Mark 13, 9... It says that these opportunities, these persecutions, these struggles, these trials, it's, it's, I love it. It says, but this will be your opportunity to tell people about me. You see, when we look at this life, do we look at the anticipation of Jesus as an opportunity to tell people about him? Or do we look at it as an opportunity to secure ourselves and our family? Galatians 6.9 says, don't grow weary in well-doing. So what are you waiting for? Are you waiting for the Messiah to return or the villain to appear? Here's the thing. I think that the sad truth is we are more fascinated with the Antichrist than the Christ. We are more concerned with finding out who the Antichrist is than knowing and having a living, breathing relationship with the Christ. I don't need to know who the Antichrist is because I'm firm and founded in the Christ. The problem is you will never spot or see the Antichrist coming if you do not know the real Christ and know who to compare him to. My hope and my salvation, my anticipation... My season of Advent is fixed on the person of Jesus Christ. Because he is the way, 
He is the truth and he is the life. And he is coming. So here's three ways, three simple ways to worry less and anticipate him more. Worry less, anticipate him more. Could everybody do for some worrying less and anticipation more, right? Can we do that? First and foremost, and this might sound a little cliche because I feel like pastors always say this, engage the word. Matthew, or Mark, I'm sorry, Mark 13, 23. Be careful, I have told you everything ahead of time. I have told you everything ahead of time. People go, I'm worried about this, I'm worried about this. And I I have concerns about this. And you can tell when someone's in the word or not. Because the person who's in the word will recall the passages of scripture who says, fear not, worry not, take no thought of tomorrow. They have fixed those passages in their heart as a means of hope to say, I have no fear. For my eyes are fixed on the one who is to come. The one who has come and who is to come. You see, who we fix our eyes on changes everything. But, but I mean, in, in all seriousness, the more I read this word, the more I read the word of the Lord, the more I understand history, I understand human personality, human bitterness and anger and fear. I understand myself more. I understand God more. It's hard. It's hard getting up some days, and it's hard reading some days, and, and it's hard finding the strength to go on. But every but here's the thing. They say the average person reads for like an hour and a half a day. Did you know that? So while we're saying like, like we don't read our Bibles or, or we don't like to read or this or that, the average person reads an hour and a half a day. The issue is we're reading 10-second news clips or social media posts, or headings. But what if we just took the intentionality and said, I'm going to be informed on the things of the Lord, so that when the world goes up and when the world comes down, my heart is not dismayed, because I know the Lord is faithful. His word has proven faithful for generations, and if he did it for Abraham, he'll do it for me. And if he did it for Isaac, he'll do it for me. And if he did it for Jacob, he'll do it for me. And if he did it for Moses, he'll do it for me. And if he did it for Matthew, he'll do it for me. And if he did it for John, he'll do it for me. And if he did it for Luke, he'll do it for me. Do you get where I'm going? If he does it and has done it for his people all throughout human history, he'll do it for you. But we must fix our eyes on him and we must engage his word. Because it says in, in Mark, in Mark 13, 31, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. His word is fixed. And it is wisdom, and it is strength, and it is power to those who are willing to engage it. We must engage the word. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved, a workman who needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The well-informed believer 
listen to me. The well-informed believer is not led away by bad religion, false messiahs, world turmoil, or surprised by suffering. There are things that happen in my life, and I go, man, that hurts. But then I go, well, that shouldn't surprise me. Others have dealt with it, and God has been faithful. You see, Jesus came to inform us of the things of heaven, to warn us of the things of this world, but not to scare us. He did it to give us a sense of security of going, I got this. It's going to get hard. You're going to have struggles. You're going to deal with bad religion. You're going to deal with false messiahs. You're going to deal with world turmoil. But don't be dismayed. The word of the Lord will remain. It will not fail. It's never failed before and it's not going to fail now. God has got you. But you wouldn't know that if you didn't engage his word. Engage the word. The well-informed believer is not led away. Next is stay alert. The state of being watchful for possible danger. Now, by, by being fixed on Jesus does not mean that you are naive to the things around you. You still need to be on guard. But not on guard to the physical but on guard to the things of the Spirit. It says that we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against evil forces, principalities and spirits in dark places. Those are the things we wrestle with. When we see chaos and corruption in the world, we need to pray and seek the word of the Lord and see past those things and go, Lord, What's going on behind the scenes that I need to be aware of? 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober and alert. Your enemy, the devil, is walking around like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. You have an enemy. You need to be aware of it. You know, yesterday, I, uh, this is a humbling thing. Yesterday, uh, I snapped at my daughter. You ever snap at your kids? We had ordered pizza upon her request. And she didn't, she, the pizza got there and she started crying and didn't want the pizza. I mean, I was still going to eat it regardless. <laughs> but we ordered it really because she wanted it. And I kind of snapped at her. And the spirit prodded me. And he said, she didn't deserve that, Jacob. And I go, I know, Lord. He goes, there was something wrong in your spirit in that moment. And I said, I know, Lord. And so I had to apologize to my daughter. Jonathan and I have talked about that a lot. Sometimes we need to seek the Holy Spirit and see really what's at hand when there's discord in the church we need to look past the situation of the moment and go, Lord, what's really happening under the surface? Where are these people hurting? Where are they struggling? Where's the transition hard? What do we really need to see in all of this? 
bad religion, world turmoil, false messiahs, bitterness are all tools in his arsenal. They pull us away from our assignment and get us distracted. Pastor Jonathan uh, gave me this verse a couple weeks ago, and I've been thinking on it a lot. But, but it's 2 Timothy 2.4, and it says this. No one in military service gets entangled with matters of everyday life. Otherwise, we will not please the one who, is rec- who has recruited him. In other words, we have been recruited by an almighty God to do his work. But if we get mixed up in the bad religion, and we get mixed up in the world turmoil, and we get mixed up in the false messiah, and we get mixed up in bitterness, and we get mixed up in all these tools of the enemy, then we can't see clear enough to lead the lost to salvation. It's still understanding that the person who is spewing bad religion still needs Jesus. The the people who are suffering in the midst of world turmoil, like wars and famines and, and hurricanes and tornadoes and all those things, it's understanding that behind all of that are still hurting people. But oftentimes we fix our eyes more on the chaos than the people who need Jesus. And if we are going to be on mission as missionaries of an almighty God, then we need to see the people through the chaos. We can't get entangled in all of those those things raging around us. That's what the enemy would like us to do, is get entangled in the chaos. And Jesus is saying, see through those things and love my people. Finally, we are called to fulfill the assignment. You are on assignment. You've always been on assignment. From the day you were born... To the day of your death, you live and exist to serve an almighty God. Now, whether you like to admit it or not, or whether that's, that's true in your heart or mind or not, that is why you exist. Matthew 28, 20 says, you are to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Do you know how on fire my soul is? That what are we, three, three weeks in a row of baptisms? Can we talk about that for a moment? Three weeks in a row. For the last three years in my ministry, I've prayed, Lord, I want people to be saved. Lord, I want people to be baptized. And after three years of praying, I get to come here and we get to join churches and we get to do three weeks in a row of baptisms. Like, I'm pumped. I'm excited. Why? Because we are fulfilling the call of Christ. We are making disciples. We are baptizing people. It's what we are supposed to do, church. It's the only thing we're supposed to do. It's the most important thing. And here's the thing. We do children's ministry. Great. We send presents to to the Indian reservation. Great. We do all of these things. but, But those are the things we do. But we must never forget why we do them. We do them for the people. We do them for the lost souls and the people who need Jesus. It is the good versus the bad slave. And I'm going to ask you today, where are you fixing your eyes? Where are you fixing your eyes? In Matthew 24, 47 through 48, 
which is an extension of this passage. And so if you want a broader extension of this passage, read Matthew 24. But in Matthew 24, Jesus wraps up like this. And he says, blessed is the slave whom the master finds at work when he comes. I tell you the truth, the master will put him in charge of all his possessions. But the evil slave should say to himself, my master is staying away a long time. Here's the problem with the doom and gloom mentality. The fear of the villain coming. The fear of end times. Here's the problem with all of that. We act as the evil slave. And we go, Jesus isn't coming anytime soon. And we use it as an excuse to sit in our comfortable chairs and not do the work of the kingdom. But you see, the good slave says, he's coming. He's coming. I don't know when, but he's coming. And when he comes, I want to be ready, and I want to be serving, and I want to be telling people about Jesus. Because when he comes, I want to have a group of people who are ready to meet him and to celebrate him. Because I'm ready for him to come. I'm anticipating it. It's the season of Advent and preparation. And I'm excited. And I want Jesus to come. And I want to be found as the good slave. The one that honors God with his whole heart. Who willingly serves his Lord and Savior. You see, the bad slave said, you know what, I got time. I don't need to rush it. I don't need to share my faith. I'll get right with God next week. I can do it next week. It can wait. But what happens is we become complacent in that. And then 20 years down the road, we find ourselves sitting in a church pew or a church chair and we've become what we promised we would never be. That bitter old person in the church. Who is protecting their spot. And won't give up their chair to the new person. You see, you are either living in the fear of the villain coming in the end times. Or you are anticipating the return of a loving Savior who pulled you out of captivity, restored your soul. If God were to return, and, and here's the big question. If God were to return right now, would he find you to be the good slave or the bad slave? Would he find you excited? Would he find you anticipating and waiting on the Messiah to return? Working while you wait, mind you. Or would he find you fearful? Waiting doom and the villain to appear. You see, where you fix your eyes determines the course of your life. And my goal here today is that you would fix your eyes on Jesus. I'm going to ask Colton and the praise team to come back up, and they're going to sing Reckless Love again, and I'm, I'm glad they did it before so it's in your mind. But I want you to understand something today. You have no reason to fear. 
the world is falling apart. And you're okay. And here's the good news. Even if you're not okay, Paul says that the suffering of this present day is nothing compared to the glory that awaits you when the Father returns. There is more to come. There is anticipation. There is excitement. There is advent. Like we can enter the Christmas season energized. People are more likely to come to church during the Christmas season than any other time of the year. Like, if there's one thing I could challenge you with today is invite somebody to church. Make that a priority. Seize the moment. Seize the moment of anticipation knowing that people are more likely to come in this season than any other time of year. Engage the world around you. Share the love of Christ. I want you to think for a moment about the course of your life. Are you living in fear of the worst case scenario or are you anticipating the return of King Jesus who pursues you with reckless abandon? You are loved, you are highly favored, you are cared for. He will not leave you, he will not forsake you. There's no reason to get caught up in the things of this world, no reason to fear He came to give you life, and he came to give you life more abundant. And we do that by releasing the sufferings of this world unto him, and by fixing our eyes on the person of Jesus Christ. Stand with us if you will. I'm going to pray over you. As always... We are a church that always welcomes people to the altar. So maybe you just need to get before God today and say, Hey, Lord, I've been fixing my eyes on the wrong things. I've been, I've been afraid and I've been worried and I've been suffering and I've been struggling and, and I've been fearful of the things to come. But I want to stop that and I want to fix my eyes on you. I'm asking you, I'm telling you that he is coming. And I'm asking you to come forward to him with anticipation and excitement because he loves you so much. Dear Lord God, as we come to you today, we pray that we would shift our eyes from the sufferings of this present day and we would fix our eyes on the Messiah, the Messiah who came once to save us and the Messiah who says that he will return to take us home. And so, Lord, we fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God who pursued us with reckless abandon. Lord, we praise you and we lift the name of Jesus high.
Shadow 
Mark 13, 37 says this. What I say to you, I say to everyone, stay alert and watch for him. Let's fix our eyes on him. We have an exciting moment. You may be seated, but we have an exciting moment today. Uh, we have two people baptizing, getting baptized today, and, and Scripture says that there is more rejoicing over one lost soul in heaven. I mean, so here's what I want you to do while they're getting in the water. I want to prep your excitement. Ready? So when I say baptism, I just want you to clap and cheer. Come on. Come on. Good. Good. We cannot expect the new believer to be enthusiastic about their faith if the church around them isn't enthusiastic about their decision. So when we take these people into the water, scream, shout, clap, celebrate, the biggest day of their lives is what we are celebrating today. And make no mistake about it, they're taking the plunge and they're fully committed to God. And so we want to celebrate that. I want to hand it over to Pastor Jonathan. Or Pastor Ed. Good morning. Turn around this way, Mary, if you will. This is my friend Mary Sarvino, and her voice has given her a little shake today. So um, just thrilled to read Mary's statement of faith this morning. And Mary says, I was raised in another church tradition, was sprinkled as a baby, and also confirmed in childhood. However, for many years, I have dreamed of being baptized in the water like this today. I prayed to be saved in 2018, and since coming to Capital City Church last year, I am so happy to publicly demonstrate my faith in Jesus Christ by being baptized as an adult, recognizing that he said, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before my Father and the angels of God. I am thankful that Jesus has saved me and given me eternal life. And I, direct quote, just want to continue to walk with him 
each and every day. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this amazing day. We thank you for your amazing love that reaches us, that you walk beside us every day and work with us so that we can enter into personal fellowship with you. I praise you for saving Mary and for this day of proclamation that she indeed is your child and her purpose is to walk with you all the days of her life. We bless her in your name, and we pray now for your goodness to be poured over her in this moment of baptism. In your name, amen. Well, that is a great service. And so here's what I want to say before, before we dismiss the online audience. We will keep baptizing people in, until people stop wanting to be baptized. And so if you want to be baptized, come find me after service. We'll get your name on the list. Uh, we have more people who are getting baptized as the weeks go on. Um, some of them are waiting for family members to be in town. But we will baptize anybody who professes Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And we will just continue doing this week after week. And if you're watching online and you see this and you say, I need to be baptized, you come in and we'll baptize you. And so we're excited about the work of the Lord here at Capital City Church. Uh, we will now dismiss our online audience as we have some brief announcements. Um, and so as we kind of close out the service, uh, I want to give you a few brief announcements. Um, first off, uh, let me just kind of get this out here. But we have our apparel. If, if you've seen our apparel in the foyer, um, we have t-shirts, we have hoodies, we have hats. If you would like to order one of those, the order forms um, with the payment needs to be turned in at latest next Sunday after service is the due date for that. We want to make sure if you're getting any of it for Christmas that you have it in time for Christmas so we can't really put it off much longer. So if you want any of that, please get out there and get an order form and bring that back next week. Uh, we do have Awana this week as we've been having it. We took a break for the holiday, but we do have Awana back this week. Um, small uh, Thrive groups are contingent on your group. There are some groups that still have a couple weeks left. You will have to get with your group leader if you have a Thrive group this week. Um, also, we have the Thrive group Christmas party Wednesday, December 7th at 6.30. Um, and then starting this Tuesday, this Tuesday, we will have the church open for prayer from 9 to 2 p.m. And that means every Tuesday from 9 to 2 p.m., if you just want to come into the church and have some time to pray, 
the, the sanctuary will be open. It will be quiet for you to just gather and seek the Lord. Um, we've been having prayer meetings at 11, but we wanted to just kind of open it up to anybody and give them a longer time to pray if they needed it. And so it will be open up. Um, God is doing fantastic things here at Capital City Church. Um, and that is all because of your faithful tithes and offerings. And so I'm going to ask our ushers to come as we take up the tithes and offerings for today's service. Um, but as they are coming, I want to take this time to remind you that we are still currently operating two 